right, folks. Shalom and welcome to the Yishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Judea to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are. Shalom and welcome to Malka Fleischer. Hello there. Malka, first thing, welcome to the show. And listeners to the show have heard that we're starting with a cappella music. And that is because it is the three weeks. It's actually even further in. It's actually the nine days. And today is the Rosh Chodesh of Av, the new month of Av. And so, as the law, the Jewish law tells us in the Mishnah, when you enter Av, you start to reduce uh, joy. Lubav Cherebi always adds, uh, we reduce in joy or through joy. We, we reduce, but in joy. But in any case... The point is, uh, uh, we don't listen to regular music. A cappella without instruments is is the way to go. I myself am feeling a little bit hairy because I have uh, didn't get a chance didn't to get, get to a, shave your legs. No, not that. My face head has not been properly uh, haircutted before the three weeks, and so now I'm uh, feel like the abominable snowman. You know what I mean? Big, you look good, Ishai. Fluffy. I'm fluffy. I'm feeling. You're you're, you're cuter. Uh, okay. You got like a teddy bear. Thing yeah, going thing on. going on. That's right. Like a, that's right. Like an angry rabbi. Anyway, so uh, that's fine. Um, also, Malka. So that's the three weeks. It's Av. It's also very, very hot outside. Very it's, hot. It's been hot. Unseasonably hot. Okay, I'm not like a big global uh, climate change warming thing guy, uh, but it's been warm. It's been hot. <laughs> it's been hot. The AC is on and that kind of stuff. I don't like air conditioner so much, but uh, wait, wait, hang on. Do you guys do you guys hear that? What's that? Do you hear the tiny violin? Oh no, tiny violin that's playing just for you. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I got about the, tiny the air conditioner. Vi- yeah, well, Baruch Hashem. I just want to say I love the air conditioner. That's right. Thank you, Hashem, for the air conditioner. That's right. Okay, so so the air conditioner is is pumping. It's doing its thing, and we are heading towards uh, the nine days are a countdown to the. The, the kind of darkest day in the Jewish calendar, which is the ninth of Av, the day that the Jewish people rejected the land of Israel in the desert, and the day that two temples were destroyed, and a day that is destined to be a day of celebration for the third temple. So it has in it a DNA of a happy day. Uh, it's and just waiting to flip over. That's right. We'll hear more about that from Rabbi Shimshon Akoyen Edel, uh, who's going to discuss about how we mourn in light of the uh, reality of the rebirth of the Jewish people in the land of Israel today. So we'll, we'll hear from him about that soon. Um, also, a few more things about today. It's very interesting, uh, Malka. Um, today's also, yesterday, was the yortzite of the, the passing day of the great biblical and Talmudic commentator Rashi. Wow. Yeah, Rabbi, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki, uh, who lived uh, in Troyes in France, he made a comprehensive commentary in both the Talmud and the Hebrew Bible. And basically, here's an interesting one. Uh, the commentary that he made on the Bible, which basically is, is, is kind of like the ABC of Judaism, uh, his commentary is really a collection of, comment- of, of rabbinic sayings or thoughts or understandings about different verses. There have been 300, at least uh, to this count, 300 super commentaries Books written on his commentary, wow. why he chose certain, wow. you know, so at least that much, if not more. Uh, so this is a, a book that, uh, a, a, a writing, a man who, whose, whose commentary really uh, enhanced the face of Judaism tremendously, and that was Rashi. So that was yesterday, Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki. And uh, 
uh, I, I am a fan. I'd love to visit his tomb one day. That's like a, a small thing that I'd like to do, if possible. Another great man who celebrated also yesterday was the yurt site of Jabotinsky. Wow. That's right. And Israel's got a day for him called Jabotinsky Day. Wow, I did not realize yeah, that. Yeah, yesterday was Jabotinsky Day. So Zev Jabotinsky passed away in 1940, was a revisionist Zionist leader. He was an author, a poet, an orator, a soldier, and the founder of the Jewish self-defense organization in Odessa, and basically the founder of the first reborn... Jewish army. Jewish army fighting force under the British. Together with Joseph Trimpledor, he co-founded the Jewish Legion of the British Army in World War I. And this was really the... The, the predecessor to the IDF. Later, Jabotinsky established several Jewish organizations in Palestine, called Palestine, including Beitar, uh, Hatzohar, and the Irgun. So he was behind a lot of the fighting right. forces that, that defended the Jewish people. Um, his influence on Israeli politics is profound through his closest protege, Menachem Begin, wow. who formed the government, consolidating the dominion of, uh, of Israeli politics by right-wing Likud party, and through the administrations of Likud leader Benjamin Netanyahu, who is the son of the former personal secretary and historian of Jabotinsky, wow. Ben Sion Netanyahu. So it has a very deep influence on what the state of Israel is today. So really, if you think about it, the 29th of Tammuz yesterday has these two people, one with an incredible um, uh, effect on Judaism and the uh, promulgation and the sending forward of the Jewish I- ideas through the Bible and the Talmud through the generations. That's Rashi. Right. And then Zev Vladimir Jabotinsky, who really in many ways, his name, by the way, his, his Russian name just for you is Vladimir Yevgenovich nice. Jabotinsky. Okay. So his father was Yevgeny, like our good friend Eugene Kantorovich. Yes. Who's a Yevgeny, but also a Shentov. That is his other name. In any case, two great men with different impacts on this world but both come together today and now finally uh before we get to the rest maka uh today's show is dedicated to a dear friend to a dear friend uh this is the uh 11 years the 11th year since alea goldman who i knew as lisa height originally uh, in high school and who became a dear friend uh, uh, of ours uh, through her marriage to shmuel goldman and together we were very close uh, and this year, uh, they're gathering uh, uh, this Friday in the cemetery where she's buried in beautiful Golan Heights. Uh, and uh, usually there's talk about her, her amazing life, her, her sadly too short of a life. Uh, and then afterwards, cheesecake. Uh, that'll be in the Golan Heights. And we remember our good friend, Leah. Leah had a big impact on my, on my life. She was, she, was, um, she was no follower. She was a, a very strong person with a very strong will and an organizer and, and, and um, you know, had a lot of wonderful children together with Shmuel, was, was a great Zionist and a lover of the land of Israel. She first started, they first started kind of in the Negev and uh, moved to the Golan Heights and really started the process of bringing more people there. Today, there's a lot more people moving in part due to the work of, uh, of Leah Goldman. Uh, and uh, both uh, Shmuel and his new wife, God bless them, Batsheva, uh, honor the memory of, of Leah Goldman uh, and sponsors today's show. So, very, very nice. Echon? Yes, Leah, Leah did a lot to open up Yishu, uh, Moshav Yonatan uh, in the Golan to English speakers, which was something that was like weird in the Golan to have like communities with a lot of English speakers in them. Right. And 
the community wasn't sure if it wanted to like go that direction because it's very Israeli up there. But they opened it up. And now because of that, there's a lot more people actually going to the Golan, a lot more Olim going to the Golan. And that has so much to do with uh, Leah's uh, never, never say die, never quit uh, attitude, her and Shmuel. And uh, may her neshama have an aliyah, really. Amen. Amen, Malka. Very good. Well, Ishai, I don't know uh, if you want to, but I you mentioned the... If you want to, I want to. Okay, well then, fantastic. Okay, go ahead. Uh, so we know that um, that our president went to meet with the United States President, Joe Biden. Right. <laughs> Excuse me. So um, not long after that, I, I think uh, maybe the same day, um, President Biden had an interview with one of your favorite journalists, Ishai. Mm-hmm. New York Times columnist Thomas Friedman. Right. One of your BFFs. Mm-hmm. Um, actually an ideological opposite to you. Uh, but he did come to Hebron and meet with you one time. And, and you guys had an interesting and not negative experience together. And That's I, right. I uh, respect that. So, so Friedman spoke to Biden about uh, the Israel-America relationship. And this is something, I don't know if this is the right place in the show to talk about this. But I saw this and I thought maybe it was worth discussing. Here's what uh, Biden said to Friedman, some of what he said. He said, this is obviously, uh, he was talking about the protests, right? We right. have protests going on about judicial reform, whether the, the courts should be more balanced or not more balanced, or if it will be more balanced or whatever. So, so here's what he said. This is obviously an area. So Biden says this to... He's talking to Friedman. Friedman, okay. okay. He says, this is obviously an area about which Israelis have strong views, including in an enduring protest movement that is demonstrating the vibrancy of Israel's democracy, which must remain the core of our bilateral relationship, he said. And then he recommended... What, what is the core? Wait, 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 wait I'm core? not done. Then he said that you need to uh, have, have the broadest possible consensus. Um, the U.S. president, uh, Friedman, wrote that the U.S. president is trying to be respectful of Israel's right to choose its own path without its American ally intervening in an internal matter. OK, which I happen to know is not correct that America isn't intervening in this matter. But OK, let's just assume for a second. So you touched on the thing, Isha, that I wanted to talk about, which is he mentions that democracy must remain the core of our bilateral relationship. It is the core of the America-Israel relationship. And that was interesting to me because on the one hand, that makes sense, right? America is a country that really, its core value is democracy, I would say, um, and allowing the people to Its to core speak. value is individual liberty. Democracy is a, okay. as an offshoot you know what? of that. Fair enough, yes. The, it's it, it, democracy is an offshoot of the expression of individual liberty, uh, and so is capitalism in a sense. Okay, it's 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 a it's a the individual and the individual rights, individual liberty is the core value of the United States. Probably. Right. So then I I got me to thinking, is that true? Is democracy the core of the America Israel relationship? What do you think, Yishai? Certainly not. Certainly not. I think that the core of the America's relationship is a word that you're not going to hear come out of Biden's mouth too much, which is the Bible, which is the connection to, to God, to the Bible, to the stories of the Bible. And therefore, if the connection is to the Bible, if that's the core thing that bonds Israel and America together, then it's not going to be like America pushing for a two-state solution because that's anti-Bible. 
right? The the real core, in my opinion, is is the biblical connection. That's where it came from the American founding forefathers, and I think that the best supporters of Israel today are people of the lovers of the Bible. So I don't think it's lovers and of lovers democracy. Of morality. Right. Um, and, you know, that, that leads me to another little American, uh, little American news that I wanted to report, which is, so we know that, um, that Herzog is going to be addressing Congress, and there are some members of Congress who took to their social, all whatever platforms they had, social media included, to say, like, you know, no way in heck am I going to be part of this, you know, apartheid state, racist guy speech. Very few. A few, but there very were a few. few right, so, very few. But okay, there were a few, and they're the point is they are very few, but they're very very loud. Right. They're very very loud. So then there was another congressman who decided he's also going to be loud. Let me find his name. His name is August Fluger. He is a Texan congressman from the great state of Texas, and he decided that he's not going to let the squad trample all over Israel at this moment where Israel's president is coming. So he whipped up a resolution in the house and it passed by like a huge landslide. It was something 400 something to like nine. I think it was 94% of Congress. Okay. And here I have the the resolution. It's very short. So I'm going to read it to you. Okay. Uh, The 118th Congress for a session Um, expressing the sense of Congress supporting the state of Israel in the House of Representatives, Mr. Fluger submitted the following concurrent resolution, which was referred to the committee on, and there's a blank spot, concurrent resolution, expressing the sense of Congress supporting the state of Israel, resolved by the House of Representatives, the state, the Senate concurring, that it is the sense of Congress that, one, the state of Israel is not a racist or apartheid state, Two, Congress rejects all forms of anti-Semitism and xenophobia. And three, the United States will always be a staunch partner and supporter of Israel. Nice. Mic drop, we're out. That's right. Nice one. That's it. Well done, Representative Fluger. We really appreciate that. I actually do appreciate that. That's the that's the Israel-Texas nexus. And I always say, you know, there's been such a news over, is Biden going to give Netanyahu an invitation? Is he not going to give him an invitation for months? What what does it look like when the president of Israel and the president of is, uh, the United States sit together? Incidentally, it doesn't look so good, right? The pictures that came out of that meeting were like, Biden looked like Biden, a little bit confused. The, our president, like they couldn't have been seated more far apart. There was no like handshake picture, nothing like that. It was just like, you know, we're sitting in a room right. together and we're not, neither of us are particularly happy about it. And sometimes, and then you got your Ilhan Omars and your Rashida Tlaibs and your Corey, whatever his face's name. And all these people who like come out and make it look like there's like, uh-oh, the U.S.-Israel relationship is like kind of rocky, kind of shaky. I don't know. Is this like a moment? And here comes the great people of the United States of America through all the representatives in Congress to say, no, this is not a moment. We're, all our moments are nice. Israel and, this, and the United States of America want to be partners. We share common values. Is democracy one of them? Okay. I could see it, right? I could see that democracy is one of them. But if but if something changed in one or other of the countries, would we no longer be allies? Would we no longer be friends? I don't think so, because I think we have a, a lot that we share 
um, a lot that we want to share. Would it be, uh, you know, are there some changes that sometimes rebalancing, rebalancing sometimes of the relationship that need to happen? Absolutely. But overall, I think that the United States, the people of the United States and the people of, of Israel, um, you know, want a good, happy, moral life. And uh, and they share those values together. Right. And, and but that's also rings true for is true for uh, folks around the world. There are tons of people around the world who love Israel in the United States and in other countries as well, much more than people think. And, and I think that the world stands with us. But speaking Malka, of that, watch watch how I connect this. What you just read to the following segment. Listen I'm to excited. this. Go. Hi, Shine Malka. Not sure how it's possible as I listen to podcasts a lot. But I just discovered your show. It's great. Yay. I love the different segments that keep things entertaining. The Dvar Torah rabbi is really good as well. That's Rabbi, rabbi, um, rabbi, rabbi Shimshon. Shimshon. Nice. And I appreciate how even though it is very clear your political leanings, you don't try to force it in any way. Wishing you all the best and blessings and your continued good work. Schneer. Ooh. Asterix. One of Thomas Friedman's Chabad nephews. <laughs> 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 nick, nick, That's nick. great. The real Thomas Friedman has has a lot of Chabad family. His sister is a Chabad. Uh, Chabadnik. Is a Chabad uh, shlicha in in, in uh, down in Florida. Wow. So there you go. There you go. So thank you very much, Schneer. That made my day. Uh, there's a few other good emails I got, Malka. Um, but you know, before I even get to emails, I do want to say, Malka, uh, that we actually have yet another a new sponsor for the show this week. Wow. A new, a new uh, that's right. And that is uh, a question a lot of folks have, which is how to transfer money to Israel from the United States, especially for big real estate purchases. Hmm. So my good friend Yossi at uh, Change 86, Adar Currencies, uh, is the best at helping you legally and healthily transfer money cheaply as possible, quickly as possible, better than the banks by a lot. Uh, and that is a very important thing. People have those issues all the time. Very simple way to reach Yossi, and that is Yossi Change, Y-O-S-S-I, Change 86 at gmail.com. Yossi wow. Change 86 at gmail.com. And this is a big deal because you need to send your money to Israel for various reasons, including bigger amounts for a real estate purchases. So bang. YossiChange86 at gmail.com uh, is part of the show, Change86. And we also have uh, our new um, sponsor from two weeks ago, my good friend Mo Kaplan, uh, who heads up Kaplan Custom Tours, which helps you do Israel right. Uh, 15 years of professional experience, uh, help you design your, your dream trip to Israel, uh, thinking about your interests and your budget and your need and what you want to see. Uh, details, very important. Uh, and Mo Kaplan infuses his knowledge in education, touring business, father to six children, helps you really make it happen. So that is uh, the good folks at Kaplan Custom Tours. That's Mo Kaplan at gmail.com. M-O-K-A-P-L-A-N at gmail.com. So folks, Amalka, we are providing folks with good ways to connect to the land of Israel and helping your money make Aliyah. That's right, absolutely. Amalka, uh, um, as I said to you before, uh, today, or yesterday really, is Jabotinsky Day, and our own beloved Ben Bresky made this segment in honor of Zev Jabotinsky. Ben Bresky, take it away. This is a moment in Jewish history. I never met Zev Jabotinsky, the Zionist leader who passed in 1940, but I met someone who met him. He was an older man who spoke to a group of Jewish students and told them how impressed he was as a youth to hear Jabotinsky speak. 
and wanted to inspire us as he too had been inspired. Then he recited one of Chabotinsky's poems. I thought of this man this week when we marked the 83rd anniversary of the passing of Sev Chabotinsky. One year I attended the annual memorial in Jerusalem and was impressed by the amount of leaders who were there and sang Shir Betar, the anthem he wrote. Born in 1880, Vladimir Jabotinsky grew up in a secular middle-class Jewish family in the port city of Odessa. As a child prodigy, Jabotinsky was fluent in multiple languages and earned scholarships to universities abroad. It was when he left Odessa that he saw what other Jewish communities looked like and was appalled at their living conditions and persecution. When Jabotinsky returned to Odessa, he joins the Zionist movement there, in the wake of such incidents as the Kishinev pogrom in which innocent Jewish civilians were killed. The young Zionists at the time were interested in poetry, music, and literature. Jabotinsky was a prolific writer and, like his compatriots, wrote short stories, poems, and plays about their experiences and beliefs. There were different types of Zionists at the time, cultural Zionists, religious Zionists, practical Zionists, and there were those like Chabotinsky who advocated nationalism and were not afraid to use the term. The following is a rare recording of Chabotinsky in English talking about the different types of Zionism. I follow a political conception of Zionism, but political means synthetic. It is folly to believe that we can achieve our great object in Palestine merely by methods of practical work while neglecting the political activities. But it would equally be folly to dream that by mere political manifestations the objects of Zionism can be achieved. Zionism has got to use both methods practical and political at the same time. No political activity, no diplomatic manifestation can be successful unless supported by proof of our practical activities in Palestine, unless propped up by an accumulation of Jewish energy crystallized in tangible form, houses, fields, but above all, land, which is the base of the house and of the sea. During World War I, Jabotinsky teamed up with Yosef Trumpledor, a Jewish-Russian war hero who lost an arm fighting in the Russian army. The two of them formed the Jewish Legion, the first Jewish fighting unit since the times of Bar Kokhba and the Romans. A young David Ben-Gurion, Israel's future prime minister, was among its many members. In 1920, when rioting threatened the Jewish community of the Land of Israel, Jabotinsky organized self-defense units. The rioters were riled up by Haj Amin el-Husseini and other leaders who urged them to attack Jewish homes and stores and chanted violent slogans. Jabotinsky approached the British and requested that his newly formed defense unit be allowed to enter the old city of Jerusalem to protect the residents there, but he was refused. Over the course of four days, five Jewish residents had been killed and over 200 injured. 
19 Jewish defenders were arrested and jailed by the British. Jabotinsky approached the authorities and insisted, since he was their leader, only he should be held responsible. He was arrested too, and sentenced to 15 years in prison in the infamous Akko Fortress. The British governor pardoned him, as well as Haj Amin el-Husseini, shortly afterwards. Jabotinsky was disappointed with what he saw as complacency on the part of the established Jewish leadership. He considered retirement, but was convinced by a group of young, enthusiastic Zionists to form the Beitar Youth Movement. The group quickly swept through the Jewish communities of Europe, inspiring numerous young people who went on to become Israeli leaders, such as Menachem Begin and Yitzhak Shamir. His movement taught pride, or as he called it, Hadar, and about the heroes of the past, such as Bar Kokhba and the Maccabees, and also the concepts of walking tall, dressing neatly, learning Hebrew and a trade or profession, and moving to Israel. While organizing Betar abroad, Jabotinsky was informed that the British had decided to block his re-entry into the country. He toured Europe in the 1930s with a message of making Aliyah. His famous slogan was, Eliminate the Exile, or the exile will eliminate you. A film from 1934 can be seen online today, in which Jabotinsky, speaking in Yiddish, talks about the dangers of fascism and Nazism in Europe. With maps and charts, he describes how and why Jewish people should get out before it was too late. As nachdem wie die jüdische Kolonisten in Palästina wollen werden genug stark, achutz Jerusalem und die heilige Plätze. Zev Jabotinsky passed away in New York in 1940, about eight years before the establishment of an independent Jewish state. In his writings, he asked to be buried in the land of Israel only by direct orders from an independent Israeli government. Today, Beitar is still active on behalf of Jewish causes, with chapters throughout Israel and around the world. There are streets named for Jabotinsky in almost every major Israeli city. Although I did not meet the famous Zev Jabotinsky, I did have the opportunity to meet Zev Jabotinsky, the grandson, who is the founder and owner of Tagar Computer Systems. He was interviewed on the Yishai Fleischer Show in 2015. You never met him. And I wanted to ask you a little bit, what was it like growing up with this grandfather who was so influential in the story of the Jewish people? Did you meet him? in other ways throughout your childhood? How did it affect you? Well, I didn't meet him until uh, I was 10 years old when Levi Eshkol ordered the transport of his coffin back to Israel, his and his wife's, and he was buried in Herzl, in Mount Herzl. Until then, I wasn't aware. I knew that I had a very important grandfather, but I was living in Red Haifa, which was predominantly Mapai territory. And I didn't really feel anything special about it. But in the funeral that took place, started in New York and ended in Har Herzl, we went in New York to the service in the main synagogue. The synagogue was packed. The street outside was packed as well. The whole street and streets around the synagogue. And there were loudspeakers outside so that people could hear the service from the inside. And then I suddenly understood that he was a phenomenon because I saw how many people left everything and came just to pay their respects to him. 
This has been a moment in Jewish history. Thank you to Yishai Fleischer. Thank you to all the listeners. And Shalom. All right, we're back uh, on the Yishai Fleischer Show. So much more great content here, Malka. Speaking of great content, the folks at JNS, JNS.org, and JewishPress.com. These are two websites that I highly recommend that you visit for your news updates or your in your inbox email. JNS.org, JewishPress.com. They make your knowledge and understanding and your spirit much healthier. That's the other thing. Bad news, bad news writing will make you dispirited. We don't do dispirited here no. on the Ishai Fleischer Show. We do not do that. That is not what this land is about, what this time is about. So check out uh, those two good friends of ours. Uh, and when you come to the good land of Israel, don't forget to visit uh, Hebron, uh, the Jewish community of Hebron that I have the honor of representing, and that is hebronfund.org. Check out Rabbi Simcha Hachbaum's great tour, hebronfund.org. And, of course, go up to the Temple Mount. Speaking of the 9th of Av, we're almost at... Uh, the ninth of Av, we're almost at uh, this day that the temples were destroyed, and it's one of the big days that people go up on the Temple Mount. Highonthehar.com will be there, prep you, get you ready to go up on the Temple Mount and really get that spiritual suntan and connect to the great story of the foundations of this world uh, and, and the holiest place in the world. Uh, so that's highonthehar.com. Earlier, by the way, I don't think I made the connection. When I was saying that Herzog... And, and Rabbi Cutler met, my connection was Herzog represents the state of Israel, that's like Jabotinsky, and Cutler represents ah, Rashi. That's cool. That's what I meant to say, that it was like, that it mm-hmm. brought together, I forgot to make that connection yes. for you guys. Yeah, it, it brought together, you know, these two energies, Yiddishkeit, Judaism, Torah, and the land of Israel, and the, and the strength of sovereignty that's necessary to hold on to this good land. Those two things come together through this one day, the 29th of Tammuz, Rashi and Jabotinsky. You like that? I like it. And Herzog and Cutler. Um, whew, Malka, I got a lot of people writing to us. That's good. I yeah. love it when people write to us. Read me something. All right, so Paula says, Hi, Ishai. I'm hoping that you and Malka could speak on air why there seems to be so many not-for-profit organizations in Israel that do the very same things. For example, there's the Hebron Fund, One Israel Fund, American Friends of Judea and Samaria, and Elad, just to name a few. Are these organizations that deal? These are all organizations that deal with Judea and Samaria. Seems like a lot of administrative overlap, resulting in unnecessary overhead costs. As an American, particularly an American living in D.C., I am unfortunately particularly familiar with organizational overlap. Hmm. I would like to think that Israel is better than this. Can you try to explain it? Okay. So that I mean that's a Go fun. ahead, explain it. Okay, first thing, Elad is specifically about the city of David. Uh, so that's what they do, and that's Jerusalem. Uh, Hebron deals with the city of Hebron. One Israel Fund deals with smaller farms and smaller communities and helps defend them. Uh, American Friends of Judea and Samaria is a new organization which is basically just an education for American uh, Jews to be connected with the story of Judea and Samaria. They have different. They have different roles. They have different roles, and these are different size organizations. Um, I think she's what she's saying, though. Also, is like, why can't we all get together under one big umbrella of like-minded people who can like have one giant, you know, org, and have departments where we deal with the different things? And I think one of the reasons for that the, the giant orgs actually work in the opposite direction. Once you have a giant org, that's where there's 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 administrative administrative 
um, what's the word? Uh, what's she said? Blubber. Overlap. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But then there's blubber. Bloat. Yeah. There's bloat. And and those big organizations is actually when it all gets together. It, it actually that's where there's well, a lot of I I, there's, there's I I'm that. not a big fan of the big organiz the big Jewish organizations I'm less of a fan of that and I think actually it actually makes sense that you are like which what do I connect with do I connect with the city of David do I connect with Hebron do I connect with both and you find your niches and right. and we are not a people of getting together all under one umbrella that's a very rare moment for us when that happens that's like like called a miracle like look they stood at Har Sinai they were all of one heart that's like a miracle. The truth is, we're 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 people that have our stripes, uh, and we don't we don't always get together on one on right. one uh, under one banner. O- we have different opinions. For example, I can envision a scenario in which what you're saying happens, and on the one hand, that's beautiful, that's incredible, and why can't we do that? And by the way, that is a that is a complaint that people have in right wing politics, which is that we have a hard time getting together in one big group. And it, sometimes we feel like if only we would get together in one big group, then we'd be so much, we'd look so much bigger and more powerful. Um, but I'll say that like with the big organizations, uh, particularly ones that are like heavily um, political, and I don't know why it has to be that issues pertaining to Judea and Samaria are political, but they are. Um, once you start to put big organizations together, then suddenly like everything moves to the middle. Right. Everything has to like become more mainstream, more like agreeable, uh, because when you deal with fringe issues and I do not mean, by the way, extreme issues, I just mean fringe issues. Um, Once you deal with fringe issues, then there are people who agree, disagree, want, don't want. And and little projects that are important can get sucked up by the big conglomerate. And that's not always good. So. Um, you know, it would be great if we were the mainstream, I guess, and and then everything would be under one big, you know, every everyone agreed that Hebron needed to be uh, secured and beautified, and everyone agreed that uh, Jerusalem needed to be unified, and everybody agreed, um, you know, that uh, people should get a pro-Judea and Samaria education, then it would be a lot easier. But unfortunately, that's not the case. So you have little little uh, bands of merry men running around and and uh, taking care of all those issues. Men and women. Men and peoples. That's right, because Hebron is about mothers and fathers. Maka, I guess we're talking about divisiveness and uh, why why things are divided. Uh, a good friend of mine, Dr. Adam Brodsky, was in town and sat with me, uh, sat where exactly where you're sitting on this couch. I got the chance to speak to him. It's a bit of a long interview, but a very interesting one about Jewish divisiveness. Uh, and also about other things, including heart health. That's right. He's a Ooh. great. That's right. He's a great uh, cardiologist. And so here is my talk. It's a bit longish, but you're going to enjoy it. I'm just mean to say we're not coming right back, but we'll be right back after our discussion with Ishai and Malka here on the Ishai Fleischer Show. Here's my talk with Dr. Adam Brodsky. I'm in my living room, and I'm with a good friend, Dr. Adam Brodsky from Phoenix, uh, who is back in the good land uh, here because his two sons are competing in the Maccabea. Dr. Brodsky, shalom and welcome. Shalom, Yishai. It is wonderful to be here. Uh, we, uh, we lived here for a year and a half, but we haven't been back since 2020. So now we are back. Our boys are playing basketball, and I'm here with the girls, and we're doing some touring. That's right. And today we had a great day. Uh, we went here to one of the mountaintops in Judea, in Gush Etzion, called Givat Achish, the Chish mountaintop. It was, we saw some ancient uh, Jewish mikvahs, ritual baths. Uh, we went, we had some... Uh, delightful coffee and cake at English cake 
And then we went down to Hebron, and we saw what's going on at the tomb of Ruth and Ishai and at the Marat We actually had a long time at the Marat HaMachpila, at the tomb of the mothers and fathers. You got to hear from Noam Arnon, as he actually described to uh, uh, officers in reserves the story of him going down underneath the cave uh, Th- complex. That's an amazing story. I mean, to hear that firsthand from a guy who was there blew my mind. Um, and he said it in Hebrew, and I was very pleased that I could understand most of it. That was good. That was good. I got a picture of you listening to him. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw that. That, that was, was a good awesome. picture. That was a good picture. That's a good picture. That's a special picture. And, uh, and just listening to people like that is, is very special. That's one of the things about Israel, like in Hebron, you really get to bump into the superstars. Uh, I've spent a lot of time with you over the years. You're a cardiologist. Um, and amongst other things, you're also a pilot. And you flew me once from Phoenix to Las Vegas uh, in, in, in a jet. It was really fun and really special, very memorable for me. Uh, but I do want to tap you for a second in your role as a cardiologist. Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, maybe had some kind of incident, maybe passed out over Shabbat. They say maybe he was dehydrated or exhausted. And then they put something in his body, some kind of implant. And I wanted to understand what's your you know kind of snap uh, explanation of what transpired and what they what they put in. Yeah, so we were actually in Tiveria at the same time he was there, and I can tell you it was way hot, and I can understand that he ran into some issues there. But um, from what I read in the news, he was dizzy. They thought maybe it was dehydration, but you don't know for sure, and it could be that the heartbeat, the heart rhythm slows down or skips a beat or stops momentarily, and that can also make you dizzy. So to be sure, for sure, in a way that's sort of easy... You can take a little, almost like a little metal chip and put it under the skin, literally. It's very simple to do, office-based procedure. In the chest? On the chest wall, on the left side, right over the heart. There's no wires. Um, You make a tiny little incision, very small. It gets loaded in a cartridge. It just gets pushed under the skin. There isn't even any stitches. It's just a Band-Aid. It heals up. You get a little box you bring home with you, plug it into the wall, communicates wirelessly, sends reports to us and we can monitor the patient um, 24-7. If the heart ever stops, skips the beat, has a funny beat, whatever, we capture it on tape. The battery lasts for like three years. Yeah. So my understanding is that that's what they put in so that now they can monitor his heart. If it ever happens again, they'll have his heart rhythm on tape, so to speak, so they know was it the heart or not. Hmm. Yeah. And it's a simple thing. Why, why isn't like just a, one of those watches that monitors your heart? Why is that not So this enough? is medical grade that has the actual, um, what we call like the EKG rhythm strip. So it has like the lines that go up and down like you see for the heartbeat. It, it shows you that. It has a recording of that, not just the pulse like a watch would say that just gives you like a number. This will give you the actual heart rhythm electrically so you can determine is it a normal rhythm or a dropped rhythm or exactly what the rhythm is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it gives you much more information. And de- dehydration, stress, what? So Right. So, so if you're dehydrated, so then your heartbeat would be normal, but you still would get dizzy and maybe pass out if your blood pressure gets low. Um, but the heart rhythm would show normal at that time or even is, would be Is there be a fast. difference between blood pressure and heart rhythm? Yeah, so the right. So the 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 heartbeat is how many how fast the heart's beating, like how many times it beats in a minute, say. Um each time it beats, it pushes the blood out and that creates the pressure. So you have the pressure and then you also have how many how fast the heart is beating. The two together are what you need to maintain blood flow to the body and when we talk about dizziness, blood flow to the brain. 
So you can get dizzy if the pressure is too low, which can happen from being dehydrated. Even if the heart's beating normal speed, uh-huh. Uh-huh. you might not get enough pressure up. Mm-hmm. Other, other conditions can do that too, infections and whatnot. Um, or if the pressure's normal, if the heart beats too slow, the heart generates the pressure. And then if it waits too long to the next beat, the pressure slowly drops down. That's why when you see a tracing of the pressure, it's up and down, up and down, up and down with each heartbeat. Um, anyway, so he will be under good surveillance now. Dr. Adam, I want to tell you, uh, years ago, um, a friend of mine, my good buddy, uh, Alex, um, we're very close friends, and, and his wife is close friends with my wife. We're, we're like a couple's friend. And uh, <laughs> I, I remember that uh, uh, they were having their first child, I happened to have been at the hospital, and um, they showed me a, a, an image of of the, this child, and it had a heartbeat at like, I don't know, a very young few weeks. Yeah, yeah, like 15, 16 weeks, I think. Like a heartbeat. Yeah. yeah. You can see it on ultrasound. Yeah, you can see it on ultrasound. Yeah. That's what it was. I, I was amazed by that. Yeah. I was amazed that this little machine was already developed and already active yeah generating electrical activity that's detectable and uh, pulsatile activity that's detectable it, it is astonishing right why, yeah. why does it need to beat at such a young age it's it, it's already it start the cells start beating before there's even blood for them to pump wow they just are contracting and then wow. slowly it forms into like a hollow tube system and then blood starts to form inside yeah, but it starts very early. That's amazing. That's really amazing. Um, since I have you here, uh, before we get to the topic of your brand new book, which I'm very excited about, uh, oh, we're going to also talk about the title of this brand new book, but just just to, before we get to that, if I already have you on the couch talking about these things, just, you know, listeners of the Shai Fleischer Show, we're interested in everything. And just to, just to ask you, throw out to you, like, okay, give us a tip on, on heart health. Maybe many of us don't know, you know, just... I don't think a lot of us, I don't, you know what, I'll talk about myself. I'm not sure, but my friend Aaron, the, the cyclist at Kosher Cycle Tours, he definitely knows about heartbeat and stuff, I'm sure. He's just that kind of guy, and he's very didactic. He knows all these things and all these, all the cycles, he's there. He knows the Torah cycles, he, he's a great laner, but I'm sure he knows about heart health at Kosher Cycle Tours. But tell me, tell me something about heart health. Tell me about, about average what can we do? What can we do, the average person, for to get five percent better health uh, in our in our life in our lifespan for heart health? So uh, that's that's a very good question. It's a very important question. I'll tell you uh, two, really just two things. One is diet. So you have to eat healthy. You're you're lucky you live in the Mediterranean basin. The Mediterranean diet is a diet you can look it up. You can Google it. Um, it's one of the only diets that's been medically proven to actually not for weight loss, but to lower bad cholesterol and raise good cholesterol. Mm-hmm. Less meat, uh, lean chicken, no skin on the chicken. Okay. Put the spices under the skin. Uh-huh. That way you still get to taste them. Uh-huh. Um, olive oil, fruits, nuts, vegetables. So diet is important. Um, don't import all the American McDonald's and French fries, keep that out. Um, and the second thing is exercise, physical activity, physical fitness. Um, so some, so some cardio, some jogging, cycling, whatever can be low impact if you need for joints. Um, and, and that is important for two things. One, it's important to maintain your cardiac fitness, but it's also your own early warning system. Right. So if you when you do structured activity, that's the same thing that you do every day or every week 
and you know that you can jog this far in this amount of time, and then suddenly you, you're only getting halfway there and you're out of breath, okay, so you know something's wrong. Right. You'll pick up a problem way before your doctor will. Right. Um, oh, and the third thing, so I'll make a third, the third thing is to get a checkup with a doctor. Just to yeah, get, yeah I've, been, I've been a little, um, yeah, I've been a little, a, a little less excited about going to the doctor with time. I've, I've been finding the experience to be just... It's annoying, and it's hard. You have to find someone you click with. Yeah. But you just need a basic heart, a cholesterol check, even something like a calcium score, um, a, a basic check. Oh, so you're saying blood work? Blood work, yeah, blood work. There's other imaging stuff that is that is newer, that, that that's becoming more popular, more common, mm-hmm. um, especially if you have family history. Mm-hmm. So if you if your parents have heart issues, yeah, I think my dad died of a heart attack. But <laughs> God bless his soul. I'm a chef should give him. You know, I'll talk offline about yeah. that. <laughs> I love Shalom, my good father. Uh, yeah, uh, let's sorry. Sadly, uh, he was young, but he was also not eating well, not exercising, and smoking yes. a pack of like Pall Mall and filtered it every day, and was you know that you know, and he came from Russia, and they didn't have that uh, right. that consciousness and stress and stress. Um, and so, yeah, I guess so. You know what I mean? I'm trying not to go in those directions. I, I will say... Except I'll, for the stress one. I, <laughs> right, yeah. right. Well, stress is good. It's a double-edged sword, but... Right. I mean, so I, what I tell patients is my goal as your doctor is to allow you to live the life you have with the stress you have, but to do it in a safe way. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. can't take out all the stress. Right. But um, you still... I know a lot of people who say the exact same thing, that their parents had... Such and such, but but they ate, you know, bad and they smoked and all that. But you still, it's still in the genes somewhere. Right. You hope it won't come out. Yes, right. Um, but get get a check to be sure, because okay. if you catch something early, it's literally no problem. All right, good diet, good exercise, good doctor. All right, a good doctoring from time to time. All right, great. Um, so welcome back to the good land. It's so good to have you, uh, and uh, thank you for helping us stay healthy. And that's that's heart health, but there's also national heart health. Uh, there's there's um, one one of the if I was a doctor, I'd be diagnosing us with um, national separation syndrome or something like that. And not just us, but in generally in in the folks, I I, I could say the West, but let me I'm not I don't think of Israel as the West at all, and I don't like that terminology for Israel. But let's put it this way in order to make it clear. Folks who consume Western-style media, folks who live a a mental consciousness that is similar to a Western mental consciousness. So I mean to say, therefore, not a place like China, not a place like India, probably not places like Africa and all that. People that live in a certain kind of mindset, a news mindset, uh, have been affected by this uh, national divisiveness syndrome, um, I I would I would say that it's not just a uh, a virus. It's not just some kind of you know bad time. I actually think that there are people who are actively engaged in creating divisions in society. I'm I'm a bit more on the I wouldn't call it conspiratorial, but I would say there are people who are benefiting and are interested in division. Certainly, certainly when it comes to America and Israel. But that's my sense. But you wrote a book just now and published it, which is called Towards an American Renewal. 
finding the strength to keep the nation together. Um, so before we go on, why should, let me just ask you just a blank question, blanket question, which is, why should I even have you on the show to talk about this? This show is about Israel. This show is about Israel. And by the way, sometimes people say to me, oh, will you interview this guy? And I'm like, well, he's not talking about Israel. This show is about Israel. Why would this book towards an American renewal, finding the strength to keep the nation together by Adam Brodsky, uh, why should we talk about it on this show? That's a good question, but it's an easy question to answer. Good. We, um, we Jewish people have been growing up for a long time. Um, we've been on the scene for a long time. And besides just focusing on ourselves, which is what we've had to do for, for so long now to build up our country back, we are at a place where we can give back to the world. And we've given back, in, in everybody knows, in high tech, and we've given back in uh, you know, Startup Nation. But we have spiritual, ethical, moral, and I dare say even political and philosophical teachings that the world can learn from. The world is hungry for leadership uh -huh. in that sphere. And I feel like we uh -huh. can help America. So, so what you're saying is, aha, uh -huh. that's a good answer. So what you're saying is that this book could be titled, uh, could be even retitled if you ever republished it, like Jewish Wisdom Towards an American Renewal. Or wisdom, or biblical wisdom. 100%. Uh-huh. Yes, 100%. I, I typed many passages, long passages from Tanakh mm -hmm. in the book, and I, and I talk about them, not because I'm not a rabbi, I don't talk about, my, my point is not to bring rabbinic sources, but to use them in a way that will get people to understand kind of a, a, a Jewish way of thinking to bring a different consciousness to Americans, but it could be to anybody, and mamash now, even to Israelis. Mm -hmm. So uh, we talked about in the car, uh, we discussed uh, Batman and Robin. So my friend and, and, and your friend, Rabbi Yehuda Cohen, you know, is always talking about that Israel should not be the, bat, the Robin to America's Batman. And what you said to me in the car is, well, it, it could be seen the other way, which is we're actually an ancient people. We're actually successful. Uh, we're actually back and being reborn and America in this case could be a Robin in this, in this, in this constellation, this way of looking at it, meaning to say other countries could look in simple terms, other countries can learn from Israel. Uh, we don't have the great democratic system that, that was set up in America. We don't have the great economy that America has, but we have things that are obvious now. If you, if you're a trajectory watcher, that there's a strength in trajectory and let's ask this question. What's going on with the American trajectory, really? What's really going on there? Is it, is it, Malka says, if you just don't watch, if America would turn off the TV for a month, things would get back to normal, you know? De detox. Yeah. yeah. Well, what do you think? What do you think the, 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 the trajectory of America or Western-style states in general? I, I, I'm not a prophet, but I think that they're, um, like I said before, people are hungry for, some kind of moral morals not there's not yes, a word for you, it you think you you sense a hunger i do i do you sent you sense out there a hunger Pe but by the way you told me that when you uh told people in america that you're going to israel non-jewish non -Jewish people non-jewish people in my practice my office practice hurt well first of all i left my practice to, to live in israel for a year and a half and i came back so right away the the it, everything changed. I'm the I'm the Israel guy, right? And patients, non-Jewish patients, um, office staff, 
tell me about Israel, about their experiences, about how they want to go to Israel, what one girl can't afford the ticket she wants to go and and save up. But what happened to me with this trip is when they knew I was going back, several non-Jews asked me to carry, because they know it's a thing, a note to put in the Western Wall. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a Jewish thing, but, but they knew about it. I didn't tell them. They want to talk to God. They first asked me, is this real? Is this a thing? I said, yes, it's definitely a thing. They said, would you do that for me? I said, and it wasn't one person, it was several people. Wow. Yeah. So there's definitely a hunger. Yeah. I mean, I see it all the time. Yeah, yeah. I see it yeah. all the time. I, I know that there's a hunger out there. And right. I not, not just a hunger, a yearning. Yeah. And this, this this expression in the book of Zechariah that, that the Gentiles will hang on to your tzitzit, I have, I have felt that in my life. You're yeah. out there somewhere. I've, I've seen it from Hong Kong to, 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 to Palestine, Texas. I've seen that the that, that Gentiles are, are desperate to connect with the God of Israel. I've yeah. seen that so, so many times. Uh, America, getting back to what you said right. before, because it ties in, um, America... Most countries were founded just because people live, the same people lived there for a long time, right? right? In France and in Britain, Rabbi Sachs even talks about this, Allah Shalom, that the, the British, they're just, they've just lived there forever, and so they know they're British. America's not like that. It was founded based on a set of ideas, that people moved over there to build something new from ideas. And what I, at, at one point in the book, I, I say, can you think of another country where people came from somewhere else, moved to a different place, just to form a new country based on a new set of ideas, right? And the answer is obvious. We don't think about it in that way. We think of our Jewish people as a family, but the Jewish people were not really from Canaan originally, although there's a Midrash that maybe Avraham was from there, with Eva or whatever, and a Malchitzedek, but, but, that we, but that we moved there with a set of ideas from Harsinai to found a new land based on ideas. And that's the commonality that we have, that America was founded on ideas, we were founded on ideas, However, the ideas in America, and we see this now, are breaking down. People are pulling down statues right. of when, everyone. When, when, when everything is based on an idea, and that idea can be neutralized in some right. way, it starts to... It's, and, and, and President Reagan said so, you know, that it, you know, in one generation, the whole value system could just disappear. Yeah. The, the Jewish people, though, have other strength. It's not just an idea. There's a peoplehood, which America does not have. Right. Uh, there is a joint history, a joint text, and of course, joint enemies. That's another one. Like, there are joint enemies. America doesn't have the privilege of having those overt. So, if you has look other at, strengths. there's a history that I go through there just very briefly. Go ahead. Since the Civil War, right? It was uh, like 30 years, the, the, the Reconstruction period, when they were kind of putting the nation back together. That led into World War One, right? That was the 1860s. World War One was, you know, the 19, 1915. Um, there was 25 years only to World War Two. World War Two led right into the Cold War. Uh-huh. 91 that fell, mm-hmm. right? From 91 to 21, mm. that's 30 years, right? After 21, i.e., like now, this is the longest period of time America's ever had without a literal war mm. to hold them together. Mm-hmm. It's in uncharted territory now as far as what's going to hold it together. One of the things I've, I've come to realize is that enemies have realized that wars, overt wars, can have a deleterious effect on their goal. Meaning to say, sometimes when you try to make total war against an enemy like Israel, a war actually serves to bring together your, 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 your enemy that you want to destroy. And, so, and, and, and this Bilam 
he figured that out, Bilam and Balak. They're like, the way to destroy the Jews is to wreck them from inside, to to uh, to get them to uh, what's it called to to become corrupted from the inside. But like total war is helpful sometimes to get people strengthened. The people yeah. that you want, you don't want to be strengthened. Yeah, yeah, it's sad, but it, it uh, but that's why you need right a multifaceted approach, right? right? And when you don't have, obviously, no one wants war, and so then you have to have the ideas, and you have to have. I talk about um, it's you because you're right. It's more than ideas, right? We have avodah, we have service, we have actions, um, we have a system of covenant that we talk about. So there's there's many pieces to it. But if right. it's not embodied in action, like we have the mitzvot, obviously, right? To make it concrete, yeah, it's not going to work. Let's talk, let's talk about an example of something in your book that you talked to me about, which I like so much. Every time you've told me this thought, it, it, it really resonated for me. Uh, and that's based around the problem of polarity in America. I have witnessed it firsthand. I have family members who watch Fox News religiously, and I have family members that watch MSNBC religiously. They get together they are just at odds and want to kill each other, although they have almost identical value systems. They are capitalists, pro-America, pro-Israel, uh, you, you know, a, a higher middle class, and yet they, they don't see that they're either being played or they've fallen into this team mentality where they're like opposing teams. And one of the, that, I mean, and that is one of the main sicknesses effectuating American and Western countries. You started talking in your book about the Ark of the Covenant uh, as a the the um, the the cherubs. Yeah, as a metaphor. As a metaphor, explain that to me. Right. So you're exactly right. I um I, I I've had occasion to have arguments, as I'm sure everyone has. You're Jewish. I'm Jewish, and uh, you you feel in your heart so much that you're right, and you just want to make what you want happen, whether it's with your adversary, because you know you're right. You just know it. Right. Um, and, and But I think there's a little bit of, uh, to borrow a Greek term, a little hubris in that, um, because you don't really, and, and if you reframe the issue, and I'll just, because I'm saying this briefly, because then we'll see how this overlays on the arc. Um, there's something that I like to call in the book uh, what I call the God's eye view. So I, I kind of, what I do is I imagine... Okay, I know what I think is right, but uh, but really, what I'm trying to do is get to like, well, what, what would Hashem do? Well, what's the God's eye view? There is out there in outer space somewhere some actual thing that's right, and me and my adversary are both trying to get to that point. And if we hold that in our head right. and we say that's where we're both trying to get to, mm-hmm. it uh, it recenters the focus off of me and puts it we're both trying to get to a common point. Um, when I was reading. Because I, w- I was reading uh, the Parsha every week. I had more time when I was living in Israel, and I was learning Hebrew. And I got, and I recommend this to everybody, you know, to brush up on your Hebrew. Because l- reading the prayers and the Tanakh, when you understand the Hebrew, even a little bit, is just amazing. Because you, you see the translation, you're like, uh, that's not exactly what that means. And you see connections between words. So my Ulpan teacher told me that the word uh, katzeh means edge. But it also, the word kitsoni means extremist. And so when you read the passage about the, how to make the kruvim, like the ark from Indiana Jones with the two angels on top, the two cherubs, um, it's, it uses the word katzel like m- way more times than it should if you were just speaking regular English. It says that the two cherubs should be on this edge and on that edge and on the two edges, and it like repeats it. 
And when I read that, I said, oh, that's the, that's extremist. And then made me think, what if the two cherubs represented the two extremes of society? One is on one end and one is on the other end. And they're facing each other even. And then when you continue the pasuk, it uses the word por se, which is with a sin. It's the same word like perush, like a perush rashi, like an explanation. Um, a commentary. A commentary, yeah. So it's like the, it, it was almost like he was saying to me, their commentaries should be pointed together and upwards. And it specifically says upwards. They're not pointed at each other. Like if you're fighting each other, they're pointed upwards to heaven. Um, so the, the, when, when you think of that model, you think of two adversaries with their commentaries, explanations, uh, arguments pointed upwards to heaven. And when that happens, the space right between them, I go into more detail on this, but there's a space defined, sochachim is the word used, that's exactly where God's voice comes from, right? So the, 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 the argument, the result of their argument is going to be some mishmash that's, that, that they come to some whatever agreement they come to, an average between the two that's in the middle. That middle ground that the two come to, that's exactly the space where God's voice comes from telling us that you, in your arguing with each other, if it's L'Shem Shemaim, if, if it's for the sake of heaven, for, for truth, not to win, but to find the truth, you will, be, you will get to the place where God's voice comes from, which you, you'll get to the truth. That's exactly what the uh, sages say about the arguments between the two great rabbis of Hillel and Shammai, who had opposing opinions but it said because their arguments was l'shem shamayim, then their arguments sofolehit kayem. In the end, uh, both have a purpose. It has a purpose, and it's and it's a it's a, 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 a an argument and a dialectic that has a that, that is not for personal gain. It, it comes out, and both the opinions have right. a place. Elu ve'elu right. And but that but that comes that's absolutely right. And when you get into a confrontation, if if we if there could be a caveat made, hey, you know, we're both arguing here, and we str- stringently believe this and that, but we're doing this for the sake of heaven, and so let's get to a a, a, a truth. I mean, that's a completely different, um, a different mode, a different modus than than what you find today, when people are just throwing stuff at one another. Part of it also social media, right? Social media is about uh, what's that word? Uh, my, my wife knows that word. When not snarky, snarkiness. Yeah. And snark, snark is not the search for truth. No, it's S- a snarky echo chamber that right. uh, uh, feeds on itself. Right. Um, and also, and also, snarkiness means I want to devalue the other guy. Right. And I mean, you know, it's it's out there. I want to tell you that the stuff that I'm seeing out there, the anti-Semitism that I'm seeing on Twitter. It's just, uh, it's just unbelievable. It's just it, when you are so convinced that you are right, that you stop listening to the other side, and you just want to crash them down. It's you're you're not learning and you're not growing. And the other thing, you 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 know that the God's eye view isn't going to be. Exa- you, you you can't get there by yourself. You need your other. You need your adversary to push right. you. Right. Like what was it? Rachel Lachishans. It was another Talmudic pair right. that one one. And, and we even have a name for that. It's called the Bar Plukta. A Bar Plukta means the guy that he argued with. He was his famous right. argue partner. Right. 
and that that's a big thing like he's your he's and that's considered like a type of friend it's a type of friend like it's a you know it's your bar plukta that's i don't think today there's there's a lot of that you know there there used to be t- television shows where that there was like left and right and they you know they would debate stuff and you have that still here in israel for example there's a show called the patriotim the patriots and there is a left guy it's a right-wing show and it's a left-wing guy and he's smart and, and they give him the respect uh, that that he deserves, and, it, and that makes the show, you know, that much more interesting and that much more sharp, uh, because of that search for truth. What what else? Uh, what else, doctor? Can you give as as uh, 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 not prognosis, not diagnosis? As uh, what's the word? Uh, well, therapy, I guess. Yeah, therapy for <laughs> for um, um, for for this for for a divided for a world that is that is being fed on on division um, and. And, and anger and and polarity and divisiveness and we come at it in with our Jewish people from right we have the twelve tribes right right and so we know that we're divided people and we know that but 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 yet we know that Hashem Echad that we're right. supposed to be unified and right. we have the two we have the the divisiveness and the and the aspirational unity right it's mm. not for one tribe to conquer all the others and make everyone else into themselves right it's for all of us to remain separate tribes and aspire mm-hmm. to to unity the Americans and even all the West can learn from that, right? It's not for the Democrats to conquer the Republicans, right? right. They, and they know this because they know that a single-party state like Russia or China is not what they're after. Right. And yet they think and act like their party should rule only. Mm-hmm. And if we would understand that we need each other, and it's in... I also talk about um, you know, the, a model for this. A model for this is um, husband and wife, right? Because we, you have to start with the family. Right, because that's what raises our children, who become the next leaders. So right. the whole relationship there is as our connecto. Right. right, the arguments that we have between a husband and a wife are not incidental bumps on the road that we need to push aside to get to the magical marriage where we all agree on everything. Right, the arguments are exactly the point. Right, because in the argument we get to the ultimate truth that we're searching for, and we need each other to do that. Right. Uh, I actually have my uh, a similar explanation for that. It says "veshinantam uh, levanecha," teach it to your children, and the word "shinantam" comes from the word also "shinaim," which is teeth. So some people say "sharpen it like teeth." That's what one of the rabbinic explanations is. Well, I was at a dentist. He told me that if a tooth doesn't have a contra tooth on the other side, up or down, it will grow wild. A tooth growing needs another tooth from the bottom or from the top to meet it and keep it in place. So I say vishinantam valecha means like like you got to give your kid a structure like like you got to give him a a push down or 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 push up whatever it is but like in a sense you keep them in you form them in their right place by giving them that contra. Yes, yes, I like that very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I you need and, to and s- if you think about that like the mouth and the teeth, right. they all, you know, all the teeth have a, it could have been just one big tooth on top and bottom. But no, there's all these these teeth, they're different. They all got their personalities, they got their their shapes. And they, they they need their space. I think that's a little bit of a of a, what you're talking about here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's look. It, I'm not saying there aren't enemies that are outside the pale. And sure. when there's enemies, we need to fight them. Right. Mamash. hundred percent. Right. right. But I'm also saying that within ourselves, within Am Israel, or within America, the people who are in the system, right? We look. We can't conceive of half the country. This is what what one of the things that really made me start the journey to write this book was like. In, in the Trump years and the Capitol riots, like the, the, if you remember, the left was talking about deprogramming the other side and they were talking about 
um, you know, even if the right wing would apologize, would we accept it? Would it be permissible that we would accept their apology, right? How can half the electorate be beyond the pale? It's just, it's impossible, right? So you, you, yes, there are enemies, but you need to know who your enemies are. And, but also the flip side, right? Know who your enemies are not. And, and be close with your friends and use them because an, an, an adversary in a machloket is not your enemy. And we forget that sometimes. Right. That's right. Um, and I, I'm very interested in what you're talking about, the difference between uh, divisiveness and unity. Like, what's the strive? What's the, what, is, what is the thing we strive for? Because, for example, what's the real central book of Judaism? The real central book of Judaism is the Talmud. Right, that's the that's the real life of Judaism. The practical Judaism. Judaism, the Judaism, the real the real one, the the one that really works. The real book, the the Torah is is the is is the is the book of revelation and secrets and all that kind of stuff. But the real lifeblood of also Judaism, the Torah is for the nations a little right. more. The Talmud is still right. It's, it's for, the Jews, for the Jews, right? right? It's 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 how to it's really the interpretation of the Torah. It's a book of argumentation. It is literally a book full of argumentation. Uh, and yet, we, as you said, we say, there's a truth, there's a oneness in this world. So, okay, it really, it's really a question. Like, what is our, what is our goal? You know, it's how, hard, and we can't, you can't, um, I talk about the story of the oven of Achnai, where the, the, the voice of heaven, you know, the, the rabbis are, to repeat it briefly, the rabbis are arguing over a point of halacha, ritual purity on an oven. And um, one rabbi disagrees with all the rest. But he's so convinced that he's right, so convinced that he says, if my view is correct, I'm going to speed through it a little bit, but let, let the waters of the stream prove it, and the waters run backwards. And the, but the other rabbis, they still don't believe him. They say, we don't learn halacha from streams. And he says, he does this three or four times in three or four different iterations. Finally, he says, let the heavens prove it. And a bat call... A voice from heaven comes out. Right. I think this was Eliezer ben Horkinus, am I right? Maybe I, think so. I, I, yeah. I have it. I, you know, yeah, it's in the book. Yeah, you got to read the book, right? That's right. But he, um, but they say uh, the Torah lo b'shamayim. The, 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 you know, we're still not going to listen to you because the Torah is here, and you, the, the. My point on this is that the the God's eye view has to remain unknown. You can't presume to know what it is. Your job. It's not to water down your truth. It's not to come to some, you know, average mean where we all come together kumbaya. It's not that. It's not even, I wouldn't say pluralism. It's not you're right and all right, hallelujah, we'll all be right. It's not that. You argue for your side as vigorously as you can. I argue for my side as vigorously as I can. And, and, but, and we're aspiring to that God's eye voice. And then we get there together. It sounds like a, a, a beautiful vision, and I hope that it's also a pragmatic vision, given that you're a doctor and you're also concerned with, how did you call it? Uh, a prognosis and therapy. Therapy, and, right? Yeah. So this is not just a book of prognosis. No. It's a, it's a book for, of therapy, meaning to say it's got good biblical advice on how to move things forward. And I think that uh, Jews and non-Jews that care, and, and this book, is it useful also for Israel, do you think? I, I think, yes, clearly it is, um, especially in the climate today. And, it, and it's biblical wisdom that all the Jews will connect to. And even the secular Israelis here, they, they know their Tanakh. They know right. they, this will resonate. So biblical wisdom and how to, how, to, how, to get back to, how to get back to one another, how to get back to, to um, a, a civic and civil relationship. 
and one that's one that's instead of destructive is, is constructive. It's called Toward an American Renewal, Finding the Strength to Keep the Nation Together by Adam Brodsky, and it's on sale on Amazon, and also... You can get it on Amazon. You can get it at the publisher Whipfin Stock, W-I-P-F and S-T-O-C-K, Whipfinstock.com. Very good. Very cool. Okay, one more thing I wanted to ask you. You spent time here in Israeli hospitals. You spent a lot of time in American hospitals. How do they compare? What's your sense? What's your, uh, what's your diagnosis of, uh, of medical care in Israel? What's your advice? Israeli medicine is top-notch. The, what I would say is the um, Israeli people are different than American people. So we had an, unfortunately had to use the Israeli healthcare system. Everything is fine. It's fine now. But, um, but it's funny, when you come into the hospital, they just expect you to do a lot more on your own, to find stuff on your own. Um, it's not as litigious as America. In America, they would never have a patient walk to his own x-ray because if he falls, he's going to sue the hospital. Here, you can find it on your own. But you're, but these really, it's okay. It's okay. They can do it. They know. It's fine. But, but the doctors um, are trained top-notch. The actual equipment they use is top-notch. I was in the cardiac cath lab. I did cardiac stenting there, and I saw how they do it. Um, they even have access to some technologies that we don't have access to in, in the U.S. Uh, because of the FDA which is fine. I mean, it's, it's okay that we that it goes through a process, but, um, but they are on the very cutting edge of technologies. I, I, I have only good things to say about the Israeli system, and it's also a, a good example of how you can meld, um, you know, what I would call the, it's almost a, it's a bad word for American doctors to talk about socialized medicine, right? Nobody likes that, and the, mar- the, the model we think about is Canada, which is truly single-payer only. I think the Israelis have it better there's different uh, strata. Yeah, different strata also, but also you can pick. You can do Maccabi, you can do Khalid. There's different. Um, there's competition between yeah, there's a, the right. HMOs. Between yeah, the there's clinics. a little competition, but right. everyone's covered, and you can buy a higher level if you want. It, it's it's much and it's much more streamlined in America. I can't tell you how many times I've had people. I put a stent in. They have a heart attack. I fix them. I put a stent in. I want to see them in the office. They can't come to get me to see me because of some insurance problem. Therefore, they can't take their medicine. Therefore, they have a disaster because the stent shuts down because they get a blood clot in it because they couldn't get their medicine. Why? Because it's a disjointed, fragmented system. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So you don't have that here. Mm-hmm. Any advice, though, for, American, for Israeli medicine? The, the, the Isra- Well... You need to build it up more here. I should say we. We need to build it up more here, mm-hmm. right? The, the Israeli doctors now train. They do their basic training here, but not all of them because they can't get in because not, there's not enough schools. They have right. to train in Europe, some in America for advanced fellowships. They all have to go to America, some, some in Europe. It's nice for me because they speak English and they, they, you know, we could interact well and, and we read the same stuff. But there's no, the Israelis, I mean, come on, startup nation, Israelis are so smart. Well, they can have their own ecosystem. It, you know what? That's exactly it. You, you just touched on, on a pet peeve of mine. Uh, when I hear that top Israeli students can't get into medical school here and go abroad to places in Europe, I'm like, this thing is so backwards. And I've got a dream. I'm not a doctor. I'm not really involved in medicine. But I've got this dream that one of the next startups of Israel will be giant medical schools. Medical schools that will be those 
medical schools that people come to from around the world. We'll have plenty of room for our own students, but also we will become, that'll become an industry here, which is to teach doctoring and nursing and other things here and send it to Africa and to the Middle East and to Asia, whatever it is in Europe. I'm saying like, we should be the center of medicine. Yeah. Not some funny place in Europe, God bless them. You know yeah. what I mean? And I would also say that it was a, it was my time in the medical system here was also interesting in that it was, um, there's a lot of Muslim Arab doctors. Right. And in fact, what, the fellow that they were training was, was Muslim Arab. I don't know where, oh, he was from Nahariya, I think. Um, and he was very, he saw my kippah. He took me to the cafeteria, told me it would be kosher food. I mean, we, we just, we got it. When you take the politics out and you take out the talking points and you take out the snark, we, we, we are brothers, we're cousins, we get along. And, and, and I, my, my hope is that really we can all get along together. All right. Towards an American Renewal is the book. Uh, Dr. Adam Ambrodsky uh, is my guest and friend. Uh, he's a cardiologist, uh, a, 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 a pilot, right? Not professionally, but, a, but he's a pilot. He's a father, uh, and he's a proud Jew and uh, has uh, been a doctor here in Israel and uh, out in America, and he's visiting here in the land. I want to congratulate you as now being an author. Uh, keep up the good work. Let's keep up the, the heart of the nation strong. Thank you very much. Thank you, Yishai. All strength to you and many blessings. Amen. All right, and we are back. Malka Fleischer, thank you so much for joining me. Malka, I wanted to say, uh, first thing, that there's a lot of folks that support our show. Uh, for example, Krista. Yes, thank you for the coffee, Krista. That's you right. Are, you keep us caffeinated. That's right. There. She keeps us spiritually caffeinated by going to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Yishai. And Rhonda also bought coffees, writing, thank you, Thank you, Isha and Malka, for being a great example of two joyful warriors. Joyfulwarriors.com. Joyful warrior. Thank you. Joyful warrior. You can also help uh, like Krista and Rhonda by going to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Ishai. That's a lot of fun. I also want to mention some of our other wonderful, wonderful uh, sponsors, including Prohibition Pickle. Shabbat has meat. That's right. Okay, Shabbat. I know that we're not eating oh, meat Shabbat during on the, the nine, nine days, days. Right, Shabbat has but meat. But you are encouraged uh, and welcome to eat meat uh, during Shabbos. So comfort a friend during right. the nine days with a nice order from Prohibition Pickle. Prohibitionpickle.co.il, including doing a great job at your simchas and your weddings. And look what time it is. Retro watch guy time. Bing! <laughs> okay, it's time for an awesome new but really old watch that's new but cool, but it's Alt old. Alt Noi watch. That's right, an Alt Noi watch. RetroWatchGuy.com will provide that, you by with the way, awesome Altnoy Watch. Altnoy Watch. I like that's it. That's a good one. I like that. I like that a lot. That is uh, a reference to a book by Theodore Herzl. That's right. Uh, so check it out, uh, RetroWatchGuy.com. And I am proudly a, a customer of a wonderful, uh, a wonderful classic watch. Uh, Malka, um, we now are coming up to Tisha B'Av. And I'm going to say a small Dvartor about Tisha B'Av. But before I do, I want to mention... Not to mention to bring on to our show our beloved Rabbi Shimshon Akohen Nadel, uh, who has with us, he's from Kehilad Zichron Yosef in Jerusalem, how to update our morning ritual in light of a rebuilt Jerusalem. Rabbi Shimshon Nadel, take it away. Shalom Yishai. The traditional text of Nachim, the additional prayer recited on the afternoon of the fast of the ninth of Av, describes Jerusalem as the city that is in sorrow, laid waste, scorned and desolate, that grieves for the loss of her children, 
that is laid waste of her dwellings, robbed of her glory, desolate without inhabitants. She sits with her head covered like a barren, childless woman. But today, Jerusalem is not desolate without inhabitants. She doesn't sit with her head covered like a barren, childless woman. With over half a million Jewish residents, Jerusalem today is teeming with life. Her skies lined with new buildings as the city continues to grow by leaps and bounds. One cannot help but feel that he is witnessing the fruition and culmination of Zechariah's prophecy. Old men and women will once again sit in the streets of Jerusalem and boys and girls will play in her streets. And following the miraculous and dramatic unification of Jerusalem and reclamation of the Temple Mount during the Six-Day War, during those miraculous days of June 1967, Rabbi Shlomo Gorin, then chief rabbi of the Israel Defense Forces, made changes to the text of the Nachem prayer to reflect the new reality of a unified Jerusalem under Jewish sovereignty. In the Sidur for the IDF that he edited and published in 1970, Rabbi Gorin wrote that the traditional liturgy is, quote, not appropriate when Jerusalem is free and under Israel's sovereignty. Instead of the traditional text, which is based on a text that appears in early medieval sources, Rabbi Gorin chose an older text, a text based on the Jerusalem Talmud and the Sidur, the prayer book of Amram Gon and the Rambam, which limits the destruction of Jerusalem to just the city that is in sorrow, laid waste and in ruin. The more subtle language Rabbi Gorin felt better expressed the new reality of a Jerusalem in Jewish hands, teeming with life, serving as Ashkenazi chief rabbi of the state of Israel from 1973 to 1983, Rabbi Gorin attempted to formally institute the changes that he made to this prayer, but was unsuccessful. While the changes he made were minor and closer to the original text, as it appears in the Jerusalem Talmud, they were nonetheless controversial with many leading authorities at the time opposing the changes he made. Rabbi Chaim David Halevi suggested more subtle changes, changing the text from present to past tense, replacing the city that is in sorrow with the city that was in sorrow. And she sits with her head covered with she sat with her head covered. Rabbi Isra Yehuda Untermann opposed changes to the text because the old city of Jerusalem at the time was full of synagogues in various states of destruction and disrepair, while at the same time filled with churches and mosques. Rabbi Ovadi Yosef, Sephardic chief rabbi, opposed any changes to the prayer for two reasons. One, our prayers were composed by the men of the great assembly, the Anshei Knesset Hagdola, and we do not have the authority felt to make any changes today. And two, the traditional text of the prayer he felt is relevant considering the physical and spiritual degradation of Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. Rabbi Joseph B. Soloveitchik, too, felt that we have no authority to make changes to the text. And the text is as relevant today as ever. Rabbi Soloveitchik explained that according to the Rambam, Jerusalem shares the sanctity of the Holy Temple 
If the Holy Temple is not standing, then surely Jerusalem can be described as being laid waste, scorned, and desolate. Some authorities, like Rabbi Tzvi Yehuda Cook and Rabbi Shol Yisraeli, opposed to making any public changes in the repetition of the prayer, but allowed for individuals to make changes in their silent prayer. Rabbi Gorin himself would eventually change his mind after the euphoria of those early days post-Six-Day War faded and gave way to a starker reality. In November 1978, Rabbi Gorin wrote that due to the, quote, ethical, moral, and national decline following the Yom Kippur War, and in light of plans for land concessions to the Palestinians, he was retracting his ruling in favor of the traditional text. The debate over this prayer, Nachem, reflects the very real challenge that we face today, mourning the destruction of Jerusalem in a rebuilt Jerusalem. May we merit nonetheless to mourn properly and see the fulfillment of the promise of our sages, all who mourn for Jerusalem will merit to witness her in her joy. Wishing all of the listeners blessings from Jerusalem. Oh my gosh, Rabbi Shimshon, you are the best. Uh, and I just want to finish off the show, Malka, by saying that I myself have a small Dvar Torah about that, which is that we're in the month of Av, which is a month that we lessen our joy. In a way, though, I like to say that we have to get back to basics. Joy sometimes it gets trapped in external things, fluff and, and chocolate and I don't know what, extraneous things. The month of Av is the month of getting back to our father, Av. It's a month of like, nice. got to get back to like honoring my father, our father, and, and doing the will of Hashem. And the other one is, Av make, is made up of two letters, Aleph Bet. Get, nice. back, to, get back to Aleph Bet. Good it's one. a back to basics month. It's a back to basics. It's, a, it's clean up your house, prepare for the next year. It's, it's, you know, it's the last month of the year until the preparatory month to Rosh Hashanah. So like, get back to basics, you know, hit, hit all the bumpers. And finish this month off right. Hashem, may we see uh, a third temple in Jerusalem uh, this year. Uh, and may we not have a fast. But if we do, Malka, uh, may we, it be an easy fast. Yes, uh, and a meaningful. And, and a meaningful fast. Malka, a new book is coming out, which I have also a chapter in. It's called Jewish Priorities, 65 Proposals for the Future of Our People. It's available now on uh, Amazon, Jewish Priorities, 65 Proposals for the Future of Our People. We'll be having big events uh, in Philadelphia, at the Weizmann Museum on October 22nd, in, in Manhattan, at the Stryker Center on, on November 2nd, and in Palo Alto on November 5th. There'll be big events. I am proud to have written, I'm one of those folks that have written one of the proposals, at 65 Proposals for the Future of Our People. We'll talk about the biblical highway and other things. This book has got left, right, middle, Haredi, secular, the whole thing. Pre-order it now, get it in time for Hanukkah, and it's uh, edited by the great and one and only David Chazoni. That's it, Malka Fleischer. I want to thank you so much for being with me on the show. There's so much more to talk about. There's so many good things happening. Uh, but we're waiting for the, for the big thing to happen, which is to get back to loving one another, have unity, uh, have strength, have sovereignty, and, of course, create a vessel for God's uh, a presence in this world. That's what it's all about, which is God's Shekhinah in these lower domains. The state of Israel is the beginnings of the rebuilding of the Jewish people's 
sovereignty in this land, and we hope for the maturation of this whole thing onto a third temple in Jerusalem. I want to thank Yochavit Seidman, Moshe Herman, Ben Bresky, Tabitha, and Lewin were live for getting the show out to the world. Please write me an email, yishayishayfleisha.com. Leave a five-star rating, or, or, or at least five stars, at least, if not more, uh, on any podcast uh, system that you're listening to. Share it with your friends, and lots of love to you, and lots of blessings from the good land, from the land of blessings. Maka, you are my blessing. I want to wish you a Shabbat Shalom, uh, and uh, if I, we don't get to it beforehand, an easy fast and an easy nine days. Yes. May, may it go as smooth as possible, and may Hashem protect the Jewish people and the lovers of Israel throughout the world. Lots of love, lots of blessings. And Shalom Shabom and Shabbat Shalom. Lifamima Gishim Shea Chaim Kolkakashim, Maye Odio Mojana.